Welcome to the RuPaul's Drag Race Recap Show for Season 13, Episode 13, titled Hanny, I Shrunk the Drag Queens. My name is Joe Batanz, and I am joined as all... Well, you know what? Stop. I'm not... I'm just kind of pausing right here. Every fucking week now, you've been... I knew it! I knew it! We call that audio clip, Clip Zero. Call it. Call it right now. You ate your twin. Okay, here we go. You're going to find out right now. All right. And joined, as always, by one philandering co-host from the podcast pod is my co-pilot. Please say... She's got a pocket full of rainbows. To to Taylor, the latte boy. Hello, Taylor. Hello. I like that one, too. Yeah. But when I saw that you ate your twin, I ate my twin. I'm like, oh, that's clip zero. Oh, really? I never thought of that one. In the first two minutes of the show, he's already got his clip zero. Yeah, no, 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 no. The only one that I, the other, there were a couple other ones that I was considering. The one I was really hoping, the one I wanted, I was listening. I think almost to the point on one of the viewings of the show, I kind of missed a lot of the show because... I was trying to get them to, I was hoping they said something like the word Taylor or Sailor or Mailer, something that rhymed with Taylor. Because mm-hmm. the part where Candy Muse says, like, blank, you're a horrible human being, villain, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I would just put in Taylor right there. And, mm-hmm. um, or Candy St. Taylor, and, and I couldn't get it. A lot of work goes in the show, Taylor. Anyway, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, by the way, again, if you are a Patreon supporter, you obviously heard a very lengthy conversation that Taylor and I had. What did we discuss? We discussed viruses. Um, is it Matt Getz, which Matt is kind Getz, of the same thing? Is, yeah, and me, which is kind of the same thing. And then, um, except I don't do child trafficking or no. Yeah, I, sh- I guess I shouldn't TikTok. be associated myself. I- <laughs> And then uh, we talked about a bunch of things over there. So, And by the way, new feature, Taylor. I don't know if you know this yet. There's a new feature for Discord. People who, for, So even if you support us on Patreon, if you're not signed up for Discord, new feature I think is going to be incredible called Stages, where we could do live events and people could walk up to the mic and ask questions and we could interact with the audience in a very in an audio fashion and we we Lori and I played with it this week and uh I, I want to bring it to the drag race experience um and so you know you can get all this go ahead Taylor I, see. I was gonna say bring it to the drag race drag race bring it to the drag race. Sorry, yeah. that's well, no, but like for instance we recently had Dieter Ritz on and it's okay. something that we could have Dita on the show, and people could ask, there could be a Q and A, and people could ask questions. You know, that'd be great. Yeah. So uh, anyway, if you like these kinds of features, go join us over at Patreon.com/slash/AfterthoughtMedia. Uh, join at the premium level; you get all this content, good stuff. Uh, quite the hoot. All right, Taylor. Uh, it's the bee's knees. It's the it's bee's the cat's knees. Pajamas. Yeah. So funny. A friend of mine uh, was telling me he watched this. I guess it was an Oscar, a movie that wants an Oscar. I don't know. I don't know things called Mank about. Um, yeah, I've yeah. heard of it. A friend of mine was watching. He said, like, oh, I'm trying to talk in that, like, weird, quippy language. So we were talking to each other like that. Like, <laughs> say, what's the big idea here? You know? And so, like, 
Anyway, this week, the queens show off their acting chops in Hanny. I shrank the drag queens on the runway. The category is Oat Pockets. Uh, Rosé snatches another win, while Candy Muse and Olivia Lux duke it out in a lip-sync battle for their lives. In the end, Candy lives to see another day, while Olivia Lux is asked... To sashay away, Taylor the Latte Boy, he of Pod, Pod is my co-pilot, um, why don't you go ahead and name us two things you liked about the episode and one thing you did not. I would say the thing that I liked was I like the idea yeah. of there being a quote-unquote full-length movie. I liked the idea of the of the skit, sure. I, or the movie. I sure. like the idea of it being like a movie where they... Try to incorporate special effects. I know they do a lot of green screen things, but mm-hmm. this felt this felt fully fleshed out in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of the other stupid skits they have didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the only thing I liked about the episode. Uh, I had a lot of problems with this episode. I thought that a lot, uh, particularly, um, particularly the beginning and the end. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. I enjoyed the lip sync. I I I could have seen an argument if you were t- taking just the lip sync mm-hmm. while it wasn't like an incredible lip sync. I think it was pretty evenly paired as far as who could have stayed and who could have gone home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought en- I really enjoyed Olivia's performance during the lip sync. So that's something else that I liked. The other thing that I the thing that I do not like is the lies falsehoods and fallacies of the judges panel mm-hmm. with drag race the, 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 the where they can say one thing to one contestant and then say the exact opposite thing they can say one thing is a boon to one person and one thing is a disadvantage to the other person within the course of literal five seconds mm-hmm. and i am over it I'm over it. We, we, you are, you are showing all of your cards. You are basically at this point, anybody mm-hmm. who pays even remotely attention now knows who's going home in what order mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if Olivia was the breakout star of this episode, she was going home this week because they had already decided it on a call sheet somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it makes it where it's really, it's taking away from the fun of watching it. I, I'm I was I was flabbergasted mm-hmm. at at that in particular. That just just that no, no. We all knew she was probably gonna go home, yeah. but the way in which they did it was gross. Yeah. How about you? You know, uh just to, to piggyback on what you just said is by the way, piggyback is uh my pet name for my boyfriend. And um <laughs> It's so dumb. Is I forgot what I was going to say. All right, maybe I'll remember in a second. Um, Oh, I know what it was. Piggyback what you said. My friend and I during the Trump administration, when something would happen and it it would be so glaringly obvious, you know, like that Trump just straight up told a lie, you know, right? I mean that that anyone with eyes would see, you know. Uh My friend and I, this happened constantly. This gaslighting happened constantly in the four years of the Trump administration. We would just have a conversation about it and just end it with like, nothing matters. Nothing matters anymore. You know? Yeah. And that's sort of what it feels like. It's just like you can see things with your eyes, even the way that they edit it. I mean, remember, the people who produced this show and controlled the show 
can edit the show that we see whatever we they want us to see. And I think right. even then, they can't edit enough to match the goopery that's going on with the judges panel, where it just yeah. nothing matters. Just nothing matters. And I think that's what you're trying to say. We have a predetermined list of who needs to go home and who needs to stay. And uh, does it matter? Does it? You figure it out, dummies, in the editing in the post production unit because we don't care. This is who's going home. Uh, two things about the episode. I like you struggled to find anything that I liked about this episode. Now, by the way, what's funny is my boyfriend asked me. He he was on his way home from somewhere. I rewatched the episode. He hadn't seen it yet. He asked me how it was, and I said, "Listen, from a having to recap it to point of view is horrible. I have nothing to say about uh-huh. this episode." As an experience watching it, I wouldn't say it was a great experience, but it's just literally like eating milk toast. It's just milk toast. It's nothing. It's bland. It's like uh, a sugar-free marshmallow. Like, it's just nothing. You just ate nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Marshm- a marshmallow. It was a marshmallow of an episode. That's yeah. a really good analogy. And and I saw on Reddit later that someone said that the season has been watchable, but they will not remember it by the time All-Star 6 premieres. They, they have, will have forgotten every episode. Because there was a comparison, and we can have this discussion, about another uh, poorly regarded season, season 11. But they were saying, at least in season 11, you have this, 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 and this. Right? You don't even have that with season... Season 13... If I you, think season 11 is much more memorable than this season. That's what the people were saying. Someone had yeah. made the argument that they're the same, and they were saying, no, you have this, this, and this, and this. And um, season 13, they're like, if it wasn't for Utica's roast, what would you remember? Maybe Candy and Tamisha in the, in the beginning of the say, season. Candy and Tamisha is the one thing that I could think of. That and that be... was an untucked. Yeah. Anyway, so I struggled, but this is what I came up with. The one thing I like, the share song, not the lip sync. The song itself. I love that song. I like that. Uh, I have very, very fond memories of that song. Memories of what? The song. The first time. Okay. I was with a friend of mine who had gone, was going through a really bad breakup. This guy, Kevin, who ended up being the first guy who ever topped me later on, but that's neither here nor there. And (laughs) weird reveal we we just had right now. Okay. No, we were, we were, we were friends and I, we just, I was one of these where I said I wanted, I had never done that, but he's like, I'll top you. I'll fuck you. And I'm like, okay. And And how did it feel that first time? Um, it was okay. He was, he was, he was a gentle lover. Okay. So, and that's, it was, it was okay. I, I just remember it just being an odd sensation, but then I, obviously, obviously I, I liked it. So yeah. because I've done it since, mm-hmm. but I just remember we, we had gone to whatever record store and gotten the share album because of the CD, because of believe, and we were listening to it in my car and he and I are very much of that aesthetic of that. We love anything like seventies and all that sort of stuff. So in the beginning, when it's all slow, he was very just like, you know, yes, girl preach kind of thing. Cause it was all mm-hmm. about this breakup. And then when it goes to this go, I remember both of us, in my 96 Hunter Green Honda Civic screaming with it because two big girls and mm-hmm. just dancing to that as in the car while we were listening. So anytime I hear that, that's the thought that goes through my head. Remind me of this story in uh, 45 minutes or so when Utica talks about the r- lack of representation of trans people and starts a whole other conversation about the, who did I say? Oh, yeah. You said Utica. Got Mick. Um, because that, that that sparked an idea in my head, but I didn't write it in my notes. And we can talk about it then. Um, okay. The other thing I liked was that we are one episode closer to the end. <laughs> yes, that is true. That is true. I never thought I would see the day where there's a final four. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the one thing I did not like, I 
hated this movie. I hated it. And the movie was not good. mm -mm. No. Don't get it twisted. I like the idea behind it. I didn't like the movie. I'm going to pick it apart. And I know, and I thought about this when I was making my notes, because that the response might be like, Joe, it's meant to be stupid. Don't pick it apart. But I'm like, no, but there's still, even in stupid movies, there has to be an internal logic. You know, yeah. it can't just be absurd for absurdity's sake, you know, because they want to just have it that, you know, chickens pick them up or something like that. There's no yeah. logic in some of the decisions that are made in this script. It's just lazy writing. Lazy. It was lazy. pure laziness. Yes, it's a very lazy, lowest common denominator, which apparently is what RuPaul loves. No, it, and it's true, but you can, that style of humor, I'm not knocking it. You know, I love, I love that kind of humor. You know, I saw a, a, pl- a play, I think I've talked about it before called Mommy Queerist. Okay. Which was very mm-hmm. in the vein of these sketches, right? That they have on RuPaul's Drag Race, that dumb pun humor. And, uh, and I saw that Bruce, I was one of the, my, one of my many times I saw Bruce Valanche in person. And, you know, I went to this gay club. Yeah, surprisingly, t- no one's ever seen Bruce Valanche and Joe Batanza in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, so, and it was such dumb humor, like so dumb. Like I remember in the wire hanger scene, she goes, where's my wire hanger? She comes out with a little wire hanger. She goes, no, not this one. She comes out with, uh, another one and it gets like increasing to the point where she like pulls off the stage, like, uh, like a wire hanger. It's way comically too large. Yeah. You know? And so like, it's dumb. And I was crying laughing. Don't get me wrong. That stuff is funny, but it's smart dumb. Yeah. This was just, there was. It was lazy. It was not good. It was relying on drag race tropes in a way that wasn't even funny or clever. I'll yes. say this now, even though I have a note to say it later. Look over there wasn't even that funny when they first said it. It was like, uh, okay. Right? Mm-hmm. The way they have beaten that fucking line to death this season, it's not that funny. Yeah. It was maybe kind of amusing when she did it in the debate. Wasn't it a debate she did it in? Yeah, it was the debate where she yeah. kept doing it to Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Okay. Ha ha. Right? Not worthy of a keep bringing it up over and over and over. It's at the end of, when you watch the, the, on YouTube, when you watch the, um, the, the first act, mm-hmm. they have a, the clip of the, always the winner from the, and it's, it's, uh, Jada Essence Hall saying, look over there. I'm like, oh God, not this. I can't. <laughs> I can't yeah. with her with that. Anyway. After Utica's elimination, the crew's... <laughs> I love you. The queens mourn the loss of Utica and congratulate themselves on their placement in the top five. The next day, RuPaul enters the workroom to announce this week's Maxi Challenge, a film parody titled Hanny, I Shrank the Drag Queens. The queens will work together to assign the roles and rehearse the script. Later, they'll work with Michelle and Carson as they film their scenes in front of a green screen. Candy and Simone fight for the same role, with Simone reluctantly allowing Candy to have the role. Finally, the girls struggle to find outfits that are suitable for green screen before Scarlett Johansson pops in for a video call to give the girls acting advice. A lot to cover there, Taylor, but did you have any big thoughts uh, on what's going on there? The the problem I'm start one of the problems uh, that I'm starting to have with the show, mm-hmm. and I don't know if this is, you use the word lazy. Yeah. And I think that that kind of encompasses a lot of things here, but particularly the very first act when they come in now, Mm -hmm. I'm almost starting to feel like we could skip that. 
and just get right to when it's the first day in the workroom afterwards because it is turned into where it is the exact same thing every week. Mm-hmm. And it is very much of where they walk in. The first one who comes in is the one who lip sync. Whoever is standing immediately behind them goes, ooh, child. Or, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Or, whoa. And they come in and they look at – they stand in front of the, the mirror. Mm-hmm. They say a couple of things. They wipe it down. Then they all sit down and they go the – somebody does the, wow, how does everyone feel about how things – where it's almost like they're reading it off of cue cards. Mm-hmm. And then it's just very poorly edited and – where it's just these clips of where they're almost con- – it's almost like group confessionals versus people having a conversation. Yeah. And then they have the big dramatic music of where they show them all taking off their drag and then somebody pulling off something and going, ah! Like, and then it goes into the show. Mm-hmm. It, it's And I'm noticing that's happening a lot with Untucked now where rather than having conversations, it's where they want them to each have their own little vignette of where they say, well, I think I did great. I think I didn't do good. I'm worried about lip syncing. There's no conversations anymore. It's just – it's just talking points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's, we just have a group of girls who don't know how to do that with the, with, with the, 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 that, the act of conversation, but making it look natural, or if this is just laziness on the producers, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's starting to get on my nerves. I don't think it, believe it or not, I don't necessarily entirely blame the producers. I mean, I think I blame them in terms of they've created this product, but I think it's a gradual evolution that's happened. You know, like I, we've talked, you know, you and I have been doing this for a long time, Taylor, mm-hmm. and we've also gone backwards uh and and revisited seasons you know that we didn't you know this this show started with season seven but you and i have gone back and done season six and season five and maybe in the future we'll do other ones but um but one of the things we talked about i'm gonna do a history of this show and the evolution of the thing right now is in in season six episode one is it episode one? It's episode. Remember, it's season six. They did a split cast. I can't remember if it's episode one or episode right. two. Magnolia Crawford tells the other girls, "I'm really just here for the exposure. I don't care about winning. Yeah. I'm just here for the exposure." And the other girls get the vapors. They're fanning themselves like, "Oh my god, I can't believe she just said that." But Magnolia Crawford was actually prescient. And then season seven, you see these girls realize the power of the show, and that season seven changes the show. In a way that we've it, – it, season six is a fulcrum for this. And then season seven uh, changes it in that – I've said it before in Trixie and Katya that they do that, – that Trixie and Katya created a new genre of drag, which is like digital drag. Right. You know, they essentially created that. And season seven is where they come in. And I think then we start to see, you know, Mimi I'm first gets the idea of doing um, – Battle of the Seasons and starts to make mm-hmm. money. And then you, Voss Events and all these other, uh, organiz- producer entertainment start to see, oh, we can make money with this, right? And they start yeah. to do these group tours. So the girls, not slowly, but over the past few years have realized a couple of things. A, the better they place, the more exposure they get, but ultimately it's not about winning. And in fact, in a weird kind of way, you don't want to win because then you can't come back for all stars. All right. Right. And then two, they also realize with these events with Battle of the Seasons and Battle of the Catwalk and and this and Drive and Drag and all these other shows that their story with these girls is not over. This is not I'm spending three weeks with you and I never have to see you fucking again, bitch. This is I'm going to have to work with you for the rest of my career. 
So, and then also just with the hate that we've seen that other queens get, a la the Vixen, a la Raja, a la um, Silky Nutmeg Ganache, anyone who they see as a problem, notice it's always people of color, that the white queens see as a problem, that, that, so that they get the hate, Fifi O'Hara. So now they're all trying to be nice. They know they have to work with them. They know that they're how far... So the show has just become boring because now they're watching their P's and Q's. You know, I've talked about it before, but for Patreon exclusive tier members, I'm covering season three. Now, actually, season three, the show proper isn't very good. It's kind of boring. Yeah. This untucked. Ooh, child. If you ain't watching Untucked, you only getting half the story. Season three, a quarter of the story. Yeah, season three Untucked is an entirely different show, and these bitches are vicious, vicious. They're so they're so coming for each other. And in fact, think of the main show in season three. I only know because I just watched them. I'm watching these shows. In a recent episode, because this just happened in this episode, they ask Raja. Well, that's the whole group girl. Who should go home? Right. This one, they're like, well. Olivia, she has a lot of growing to do. Raja says the same thing. She goes like, <laughs> she goes, Shangela uh, and Stacy, get the fuck out of here. She goes, Shangela should be on season five or season six. She's not ready. She says the same thing, but in a much more vicious way. Yeah. And 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 like they they speak truth on the main stage, what they really feel. They say it's it's unfiltered on season three. And you so when you contrast it with ten years later, exactly. A mm-hmm. decade later, now the girls are all being miscongeniality. Well, and, and I'm not, I, I'm not necessarily when I say, I, I think maybe you misunderstood me when when I'm talking about the way that the girls are talking. It just feels very heavily produced, not so much by the girls, but when it's at some point one of them says something along the lines of, "Well, girls, I guess we need to get out of drag." You know, oh, I'm I see what you're saying. Set. Yeah, like that kind of stuff, or where it clearly producers said, "Okay, we have enough that we need." Which one of you is going to say this? Okay, I need you, to, and then it's just really poorly acted. I, I, I think because yeah. Rose talks about this later in the episode of the I was terrified that if I was my true self, yeah. the viewers would hate me. I mean, I mean, you know, God bless Rose for being open enough to say that in an interview, and for them showing that that they recognize now that it's not. It's not just about the competition. It is about life after the competition. I agree with you. I agree with everything you're saying. You better. I'm just saying that (laughs) I'm just tired of the way it just – this episode in particular felt so manufactured. And this this in particular is something now that I don't necessarily – I feel like I've already seen this 12 times this season. Next week when it's just the four of them, do I really need to watch it? Do I should I just wait to see when Ru when when they all walk in the next day in you know dressed as boys? Is that when I should start the episode? Because I feel like I've already seen this ten ten or eleven times this season. Well, I, you know, at I yes, I kind I think I kind of misunderstood you the first time, but it, to actually split the difference is, I think what you're saying about the producers has always been there. But because the girls gave them so much, it was sort of hidden. But I think with what I just said, the girls are so producing themselves, you know, uh, on and off. I mean, like, again, that was a, a discussion I can say for later, and I'll still discuss it later. There is no difference between Olivia as a boy and Olivia as a girl. And I don't think that's because there isn't a real difference. I think... um, that, that she's just so produced. 
you know, by yeah. herself. And so I think that the producers just, it's just so glaringly obvious because the girls themselves are so tightly wound that now it's just more obvious. Mm-hmm. I have no way. Do you have, like, going back to the season three conversation, or we can take any of the previous seasons up until like season 10. I get a sense of that I really know who each of these girls are or is. With this cast, and I'm being honest here, apart from Candy Muse, I don't feel I know who any of these girls really are. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I they they're definitely they're they're holding the cards close to their chest. Yeah. And by doing that, I think, you know, you can say all you want about Candy Muse and this and that. I hate her too. But the one thing I will say is by the other girls holding and Tamisha didn't hold back. Tamisha, I know she is too. But but the other girls holding back they forced the producers to take Candy all the way to the end. Yeah. Because they, like, we'll talk about this. A lot of these topics come out later in the episode. Um, I have a okay. few things to say. One, uh, in the, in the previous week, um, Lonnie Love tells Candy she's Don Rickles or something like that. And yeah. then in this, in this episode, we got mixed like, oh my God, they said I'm like Phyllis Diller. Do you, have you had to wager a bet? Do these girls know who Don Rickles or Phyllis Diller are? I thought the same thing too. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I know who Don Rickles is, yeah. and I know who Phyllis Diller is, and I know Don Rickles was very much an insult comic. I mean, yeah. Bianca said that I want to be the Don Rickles of drag. Yeah, Phyllis Diller, I know that I had seen her on like talk shows in like the seventies and yeah. the eighties and stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't know that. Other than that, she's very self demeaning. I couldn't tell you a Phyllis Diller joke. I could tell you maybe a couple of Don Rickles jokes. Yeah. But I I don't know that I could uh, – that just seemed very – I appreciated the fact, though, that she did say in the confessional, like, I have never really thought that, you know, what I could do with my drag, there is, I could expand on things that I do, whether or not she could be the next comedy queen. I don't see her as the next Bianca. Yeah. But maybe she could do, she could expand beyond just the look queen stuff. Phyllis Diller, it's so funny because I don't know much about her, but I do know that – it's so funny. I'm sure at the time she was a big gay icon, but she's kind of a forgotten gay icon. And mm-hmm. uh, she, I know she did a lot of jokes about, you know, like, there's a, like there's, she had a husband that no one ever saw named Fang, that she would call him Fang. And there were a lot <laughs> of self-deprecating, yeah. And uh, a lot of self-deprecating humor, but like definitely gay icon. Uh, and um, I'm people should do a revival of her. Like, I, I, I you know, uh, Waylon Flowers gay mm-hmm. icon had a puppet named madam right yes. and then waylon flowers died of aids yes we've and, talked about this on the show before yeah and uh madam now is in the hands of somebody else who was his friend or something. and i saw someone say they saw this new guy in madam and it was horrible and i was right. like oh my god i want to find a way to get madam i won mm-hmm. i think i could make madam iconic again you know and um because I think she's Madam's a gay icon. I think she's actually based on Phyllis Diller and B. Arthur. I think there's like a cross or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
Um, what I'm saying is these are forgotten gay icons that we need to bring them back. Um, next, I want to know what you thought about RuPaul's mustache when she came in. What the fuck was that? I didn't get that. She's done, had a couple of looks this year mm-hmm. where she had the one last week where she didn't have eyebrows on, but she had on a knit cap and mm-hmm. she looked like, uh, that character that Dave Chappelle does, the, the guy that's always looking for crack. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, just sort of like scratching at her, scratching at her chest. I think it was a weird look. Um, but I didn't get – I don't know if she's trying to do like some sort of theme with all the looks or she's just mm-hmm. playing around with things yeah. or I, I didn't quite get the need for that. Um, It was just – it was obviously a fake mustache because uh, the last episode she did not have a mustache. Right. Yeah, no. It's cl- it's clearly a um, – a prosthetic. But. Yeah. Um, okay. I was going to talk about this now. It sort of relates to what we were saying later. I didn't notice this for most of the season, but I've noticed the past few episodes. Can we have a serious conversation about the characterization of you of Olivia Lux's character that she's like a toddler and she walks like a toddler and she talks like a toddler and it's become very cringy to me? Yeah. The, Would, the the weird whenever she's done it where she does the little tip 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 sort of thing. There's something about that that is like it makes me uncomfortable. Well, yeah, because you know toddlers do this thing. It's a visual thing, so I won't do it right now for Taylor. But where they walk with their chest first, and it's almost like their chest is leading, and then their legs follow. Mm-hmm. And she does that, and it's and the, yeah, on the tippy tippy on her tiptoes or whatever, and it's and it has that like vacant look on her face, like a toddler showing up to Disneyland for the first time or something. And the like, it's it's cringy. I'm, I'll be honest with you, and I I yeah. don't know how you'd break up from that characterization because it's a it's a it's a persona she's created. But I I do have a lot of questions about why she's going with that persona, why she's sticking with. It. I don't, don't get me wrong, she has a killer smile, you know, and Absolutely. you can be the ingenue, which I think is what she's going for, um. And but not be like a toddler. There is something up there, and I don't know what it is. Well, and I think that you know, kind of speaking a little bit to untucked, and they talk mm-hmm. about whether or not that character is fully fleshed out or fully mm-hmm. fully formed out, and she feels as though that she is. I would disagree with that, or I feel like it is sort of one note. You know, what I feel was the best part of her performance in the movie, mm-hmm. speaking to this, is the part where she starts reading Candy and they just bleep her out. And you hear at one point, the, which I'm assuming she got, she called Candy a cum dumpster because the only word that they didn't bleep out was dumpster mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, and that was funny. If you're going to do that, similar to what we talked about with the roast, of uh, where if you're going to be that weird, like kind of toddler, but then you just make it super filthy or you're super smart but you still kind of talk in that dumb, then that is more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. But the weird where we're just kind of happy and smiley, no matter what, where we just can't help but smile. Mm-hmm. If that's who she really is, that's wonderful for Olivia, the boy mm-hmm. for Freddie, but for the character, it shows that she can't really necessarily take direction because she's so fixated on being this one persona. Mm-hmm. No matter what, you know, when they've talked to her, but, you know, in the, in the commercials, the soda commercials, she's supposed to be in the desert and she's supposed to be have dehydration and she's like smiling while she's laying in the desert. It doesn't, it does, there's a disconnect there that it doesn't necessarily make sense. 
Well, you didn't talk about this in terms of Utica, but I'll talk about it in terms of Olivia, where like we've known people, I've known people at least, who are have this sunny disposition, but I feel that the sunnier the disposition, uh, inversely, there is a very, very dark side to that person. A very, uh-huh. They're trying to hide ma- or mask something. And I don't know, I'm trying to get that sense from Utica. I didn't used to get it, but I'm like, bitch, what are you hiding with, I mean, well, that... I, the fact yeah. that they all call her diva. Yeah. And when she tries to say, I'm the polite diva, and there have been little sprinkles throughout the season mm-hmm. of she may be someone lesser, though, because it seems like everybody gets along with her, like mm-hmm. a Ben de la Creme, mm-hmm. who reportedly was very different when the cameras were off versus mm-hmm. where they are now. Mm-hmm. That maybe we're not seeing all of Olivia, but she just wants to, again, she wants to produce herself and she wants, to, she go, if I stay within this box, Mm-hmm. Of where I'm, you know, toddler esque, mm-hmm. then I don't have to worry about showing my ass. You know, we kind of, but, but they also, nobody wants to call her on it on the, on camera mm-hmm. because then you're, it may be seen as punching down to mm-hmm. somebody. Whereas, especially someone who is a person of color mm-hmm. versus when they kind of had this conversation a few weeks ago with Utica, where they talked about some of the horrible things that she said at the dinner that one night mm-hmm. where she was just sort of reading people, not even reading. She was just insulting people yeah. sitting at the table. It may be easier to say something like that to a white person. So what I would say is this is I get where you I get the premise you're coming from, see where you go, but where I diverge is I think at some point in the show, she realized I'm not going to win the title. Yeah. But I could get Miss Congeniality. Yeah. And I, it seems like she's been campaigning for that, knowing, well, look, it's either going to go to Simone or Gottmik, maybe Rose, right? Mm-hmm. So I have no chance. If I can make it to Final Four, that's great. But I want miscongeniality. And it seemed like she was going there. Cause, you know, to talk about what you were just saying, one of the flashes you're talking about is when she called out Utica for saying one thing to her face, um, and then another thing on camera. And she was very serious there. She was not Miss Sunny disposition, you know, uh, Olivia Lux. Uh, next, I, I, I kind of feel like Simone should have fought harder for that role. Don't you agree? Um, yeah, it was sort of bizarre yeah. that she just sort well, of gave it up so easily. I think, on the one hand, where they talk about these characters are very familiar, that it makes sense for everybody to lean into that. But then I think, on the other hand, you know, the classic story is of the Golden Girls. You're mm-hmm. covering Shady Pines. Yeah, was that Betty White and Rue McClanahan each played were hired cast yeah. for the other character? Yeah. Because they were so similar to those characters on previous sitcoms, on mm-hmm. Mary Tyler Moore and Maud, mm-hmm. and they decided to switch up the characters and it made for classic television. Yeah, this could have been had they switched roles. This could have worked in both of their favors instead of the way that it that it worked. Though apparently Simone did fine, but to see her give up like that, I mean, ultimately one of them had to one of them had to give up. You know, say okay, fine, I'll play. Uh, Margarita. Yeah, but still, it was a, where, where that she be kind of be kind of became like a sore loser, and it was it wasn't a cute look. Yeah, I feel there's missing information we didn't see in that conversation. It, it, she seemed to give up too easily. I feel there was more that we don't know about. Not that it was bad or nasty. Maybe they just cut it out because it was redundant. But uh, I feel there was a lot we didn't learn there. Um, your thoughts on the whole Scarlett Johansson drama? Uh, well, 
I like I like that they're bringing in maybe some more A list people, and even mm-hmm. if they can only do it through the screens, I think that that's kind of cool. They all seem genuinely excited when the when it's like Scarlett Johansson, one of the biggest movie stars currently, yeah. is mm-hmm. up talking to them and giving them ideas. I thought the advice that she gave was really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and even you know with the villain of like believing that you're the character and seeing something in the villain that you like about the character because it helps to make it more helps to make that person more fleshed out. I thought it was, I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great fun segment. I like that. I like the one with um, Anne Hathaway and I feel like it's a way that they can bring in more big named people in a way that they're not having them on the judges panel. Yeah. Cause I think that, I think that the idea of they would, I can't imagine a world in which Scarlett Johansson would agree to a full day on RuPaul's Drag Race on the judges panel. But if it's something where, well, we need you for a half an hour to do a Zoom call mm-hmm. with these girls. And they they brought up Black Widow like four times. So I think they were thinking that Black Widow was going to be out around the same time mm-hmm. as as the season. So it would be good for a good promotional thing. I, it was, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed those couple of minutes. What do you think of this Colin Jost? I think he's super hot. <laughs> I don't like his Colin Jost. Now, once again, this is one of those stories where I have a friend. Uh-huh who uh, knew us an SNL cast member really well. So she invited mm-hmm. him to, you know, one of the perform, you know, he was in New York and he she said, well, come to a, a, a taping of, you know, SNL. And he went and then, they, you know, they have a famous after party that all the cast has to go to, which is super strange. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, I don't want to say too much here because I give away things, but uh, he was in a conversation with Colin Jost and he was just talking to me what a fucking just douchey frat boy he is. Oh, you can tell he's a, he's he's of that ilk. Yeah. I just I he's got he's I just think he's cute. I, think I, he's I don't watch SNL, so I don't even know necessarily like his delivery on weekend yeah. update or anything, but he kinda looks like this like, Maddie gets. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, well uh, the, uh, a, a um a class well, how old is Matt Getz? He's like my age, right? No, he's 38. How old is he? 38. He's only 38? Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Rough 38. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't like his Colin Jost. I think he's okay. smug. I think he's basic. Smug is a good is a good word to describe. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Taylor. On that note, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we're going to jump right into the green screen segment and all that jazz. And we'll be back right after uh, this. <laughs> on set with Carson and Michelle, Olivia and Simone rely on familiar roles. Candy screams her lines over and over again. Olivia annoys the other girls by asking so many questions, and Rosé impresses Carson with her acting chops. Taylor the Latte Boy, um, the the green screen filming segment. Your thoughts? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Just like, okay, the Olivia thing was very confusing because they've never talked about that before where she had a million questions. Yeah. So that seemed very odd for them to put that in. I do appreciate that Olivia called out Simone's 
what she refers to as the factory voice that mm-hmm. I have talked about all of these episodes that she pretty much plays the same character. Mm-hmm. A point we will definitely talk about during deliberations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was weird that they were doing the thing where they were having Candy scream the lines over and over again. And mm-hmm. they were both clearly laughing, mm-hmm. but they were playing the shade music over. Cause I actually thought that was kind of funny to watch where she was just screaming and screaming and that she was saying I was giving it my all. I was doing what I had to do, but it was this, there was a lot of weird juxtaposition of where you thought people that weren't going to do well did well and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So they were really kind of fucking with your head a lot. We saw that basically with Simone, with the whole unsure of herself and all that kind of, you know, jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was very much, it was, it was just sort of like a, okay, let's get through this. I don't get the whole, thing with the cat and the sneezing and why that was so funny and the you know you you knew at some point she was going to have somebody was going to say the word pussy mm-hmm. and it but again lazy writing lazy mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff what about yeah. you uh well first of all let's talk about this first of all I, well first of all got mick at one point after that cat's paw scene was like this is the most fun i've ever had in my entire life i'm like really the most fun you've ever had in your entire life taylor entire life right yeah i wanted to go back to what you said i think this is what you're going to comment on in the judges deliberations but i wrote not olivia reading simone for doing the same character (laughs) olivia going like oh she's doing that character she always does and i was like really bitch (laughs) okay there's something really important happens in this act. Okay. Taylor's currently making love to Lip Balm. I just want you to know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that is how to you, where you were like, uh, 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. this Carmex. Oh, yeah. Cucumber mint. Oh. What brand is it? Um, It is Jack Black. Jack Black, the guy from uh, Kung not, Fu Panda. Not Jack Black, not the not the actor, but it's it's this it's like a men's thing that comes with in like the dark blue. It's I don't really like it because it's really oily. It's but I'm trying to use this up so that I can use some of the other. I'm a I'm a lip balm addict, oh, I'm a you? chapstick addict, mm-hmm. and I bought these and they were very expensive and I don't like them, so I'm just trying to use them up. Oh, I see. So I noticed something. That was my butthole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be mine at the end of May. I would I noticed something um so can't during Got Mix scene where Candy has the cat paw. Mm-hmm. I picked up on my second viewing that Candy is the narrator of that scene. When in theory it should be Got Mick. And I don't think mm-hmm. this is a mistake mistake. I think what it's showing is how much they rely on Candy now to be the storyteller. So even uh-huh. in the scene where she's secondary, they made it about her because the other characters, the other people are so boring. So they have to find a way to make Candy the center of the attention, even though it's really just her holding a cat paw and got Mick sneezing and laughing and whatnot. Well, think about it. We're down to the final five how often do you see anything of substance from Rosé in confessionals? Unless she's singing, you know, like I'm singing a song, and they and then she does that um, 
you know, auto-tune effect I can't do. Yeah. Um, but the only thing that she ever says is, I'm doing what I need to do to get to the top four, honey. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like everybody's Cameron Michaels now. Mary Cameron Michaels didn't say shit, but now that's why Candy, I think that's why Candy being like this and the other girls being like the way they are has propelled Candy to the top four. Because they're like, we can't mm-hmm. lose her. Or this show, mm-hmm. which is already boring, will be more boring. Yeah. You know? And so, um, you know, I've often joked that I want to do a fake podcast with me and you, mm-hmm. you know, simultaneously this one. We don't play Joe and Taylor. We play the other characters. And it's called, you know, you know, Yes, Queen, House Down Boots. And all it is... <laughs> Is just a show where we just say how everything is wonderful about the show. The show is amazing. There's nothing wrong with it. Every queen work, you know. And that would be a very boring show. Okay. A very boring show. They realize if they that if they get rid of Candy, even though Candy's now at the stage where she's, yes, queen, house down boots, it would be even more boring. Because at least she's right. kind of funny about it. And they would have yep. that show, and they don't want that, but they don't know they don't know how to solve it. The casting's already done. Um, well, this way, of, they painted themselves into a corner. Yeah. Uh, elimination day. Simone breaks down from the stress of self-imposed expectations. Rosé admits she was overly self-aware early on in the competition. Gottmik discusses the lack of inspirational trans representation, representation in the media, and this leads to a discussion of how the LGBTQ community has historically been portrayed in pop culture. Any thoughts on this elimination day conversation, Taylor? I feel like, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. We already kind of talked about the rosé, like, sort of, you know, we've talked about the the awareness of the girls now versus the awareness of a season three or a season four contestant. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times, uh, Simone being so upset, that felt genuine of that disappointment and mm-hmm. wanting to do where I know that she's good friends with Gigi Good and that they live in this, like, you know, artist community together and... And that it is very much of the where you want to do better than those that came before you. So I think that Simone in her head says, I want to bring home the crown for for Gigi, too, who didn't win her season. But I want to get further and I want to, you know, the, all of these people, just like they supported Gigi and got her to where she was at one of the finalists. I have to do just as, at the very least, just as well, if not even better than mm-hmm. Um so I can see maybe some of there was definite that goes beyond that, I think, to things that she's talked about with a brother and with a brother who was arrested or incarcerated and, and things like that of needing to be the one who is the the, the perfect child kind of thing. Um, I, I have thoughts about the representation, but but what are your thoughts on Simone? It's one of these things where and this is nothing against you. It's a conversation I would have love to have with another person of color. Get your uh, husband in here. And um, JK. <laughs> Kimora. And, but um, it's one of these things where when you're a person of color, and I know there might be people who are rolling their eyes or whatever, but I think it's something that a person of color you can understand. Is... There's a pressure, especially when, you know, you, you, you impose it on yourself that, and this is true. I hate to say it, you know, um, but when you're a, a POC, you have to be 
you have to work so hard to be so much better that your talent cannot be denied. And I don't think that that's necessarily something you would pick up on as a white person. I'm not saying that. And I, and, but this is, this is the sense I got from Simone's confessional, uh-huh. which is this pressure she's putting herself, not necessarily to bring it home for Gigi, but knowing that as a POC in this, house of avalon which obviously has some sort of high standards you really look up to her or you know she has a feeling with them but that she has to work so much harder to be recognized and feeling that pressure not that it's not being recognized but like to make it so close to the finish line and no i have to be that much but remember in the previous episode she almost went home in her head i don't think she was ever going to go home really but and she to her it's very real you know yeah and um i think um she, you, that pressure that comes from, you're right, having the brother who's in prison. It, this is stuff that, it's from her life story that she has this self-imposed pressure. I just remember when I started working at uh, my first company when I was in college, like, they were handing out these promotions like nobody's business, and... um I had to work so much harder to get said promotion, right? I had to be uh-huh. so good they couldn't deny it. And and I don't think it's necessarily something that's conscious, you know. I don't think people are going like, oh well, there's you know, blah blah blah. You mean self imposed or yeah, self imposed. Just no, no, okay. no, 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 no. I no, I don't even necessarily think self imposed. I think it's something that like <sighs> I think there's just something within us. That we like to help people who remind us of ourselves. We've seen this in the court systems already, where like white judges are much more forgiving to white adolescents who do a crime and much harder on, you know, people of color who do a crime. Because with the white kids, and they'll say this, they rem- those white kids remind them of their, especially affluent white kids who do something. Like these, it reminds them of their kids or their, or their kids' friends. And that, if you remember, it's so funny. The right came down on Obama for saying that Trayvon Martin looked like a, that could be his son. But that's yeah. exactly kind of what happened. And so, um, I think, so I think at the company that I worked at, I think, you know, it's not necessarily they're like, well, he's a, a Latino guy. We're not going to help him. But it's like they really want to help the other white people who are there because it reminds them of themselves or they get reminded of, it's just easier to be reminded of yourself in a person that looks like you. And uh, and I think it's it's one of these things that you – so you have to be so much better than the uh, other people that you, you, they can't ignore you. They can't be denied that you're that good. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing, like the tears – because, I mean, it's so obvious to us and probably the other contestants that Simone – has a really good shot at winning the whole thing, but she doesn't see that in herself. And that shows you that I think that she has to work that much harder. It's a, it's a struggle. You know, it, it's something that I deal with, you know, it, as much as people like to paint Hollywood is left, you know, it's something that Hollywood, it, this is a very apparent Hollywood. Like there's a woman that I know. She's crazy. She's a crazy person. Okay. But she's a good writer and she's Latina. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she was talking to me and a friend about how she cannot get a writing job in Hollywood to save her life. On a TV show or anything she's tried, they don't hire her. The fact that that's true is so fucking ridiculous. Even though she's crazy. Because 
Hollywood is really short on women. Hollywood is really short on minorities, particularly Latin people in the writing mm-hmm. room. They should be. She should be have a job. She can put, string a sentence together. She should have a, and the fact that she yeah. can't is insanity, right? And uh, and I don't. I, I can go to that's a whole other forty five minute discussion, and we don't have that kind of time. But so like Simone, when I so what I saw what Simone was saying was. It's like we were talking about somebody that we know on just between us girls. I don't want to bring it up just because it would make no sense to anybody who, even though he's a white person, a white cis male, he puts this self-imposed, I don't know, criticism on himself. Yeah. And it, it causes him torture. And I think people of color experience that too, because they, it's just, you just have to work so much harder to get what you get. But the differences between that person and someone like Simone, mm-hmm. I would think, is that for the person that we know, that is self-imposed. That is internalized. Yeah. Whereas as the person, as Simone, Simone could be feeling that on the inside, but that is also because of how she is treated in the world. Yes. Where where there is – there is that is not only internal but also external through mm-hmm. whether it's microaggressions, whether it's you know blatant – racism systematic yeah. systematic racism you know that sort of stuff so i i hadn't i'd been looking at it more it it felt genuine to me that oh i think it's 100 like it genuine for and it may be sad for her yeah um that she doesn't get to experience this show you know on that level because she she is so in her head at times that it's more about i can't fail this because if if i fail this i am a failure yeah, well, I think I don't remember the pictures that well, but is she the only person of color in that House of Avalon thing? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this thing where she realizes she has to be that much better. And if not, it'll be like, oh, I'm not saying this is true. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know her thinking, but I could see a person of color thinking, well, if I don't make it to the top four like Gigi did, they're going to think I'm not as good, or I, I shouldn't be in the House of Avalon. I'm not worthy. She yeah. basically said yeah. that. She basically said that, that they invested so much in me and yeah. then I just fizzled out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. The next thing you want to talk about something else too, right? Uh, the representation thing. I thought it was interesting because everybody that is left is all in their 20s and early 30s. And they're, with the exception, I definitely see Gottmik and appreciate Gottmik for being a trailblazer of being someone who is – trans and also like playing with gender and stuff that that contestant that queen i can see that but the other ones they grew up in a time with shows like will and grace and where gayness and queerness i feel was definitely more open and you saw a wider representation than for example you're in my generation don't call me urine I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't you agree with that? I was a little surprised no. when they said and I fact, don't see anybody like that, with the exception of with the exception of queer people of color. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as far as LGBT representation in the you know in the nineties was really when you started to really really kind of see that more, and it wasn't just the you know the hardcore bull dyke and the you know super flem- femmy you know florist slash hairdresser slash flight attendant. There was there were other representations so, that were starting at that time. So in the beginning of the show, the top of the show, uh-huh. you mentioned a joke about us 
being in a car or something like that? Two fat people in a car? What, what is this? You mentioned both of us being too fat. And I said, bring this up later. Maybe someone in the Discord will remember. They can tell you. You can tell me. But you said something at the top of the show about uh, two fat people. And that was me and you. Um, and I said, bring this up later during this conversation. Okay. Okay. And I want to I wanna say, um, first of all, everyone should go find and watch an amazing documentary called The Celluloid Closet, which is a little yes. old and I would love an updated version. But The Celluloid Closet is about gay representation in film. Okay? Yes. Uh, up until the point of the documentary, everyone should go watch it. It's a fantastic, amazing documentary. That's from the 90s, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's from like the 90s. But yeah, it's still a fantastic yeah. documentary. Next, um, Will and Grace and two shows, they came out around the same time. Will and Grace and the, uh, the American version of Queer as Folk came out at the same time. They're very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Queer as Folk was essentially a oversexed soap opera on Showtime. Yes. Um, which portrayed hot gay people having hot gay sex all the time with each other, right? Everyone's just mm-hmm. a whore. But Will and Grace, I felt, was the polar opposite in that. And one of the complaints I know about Will was that he, they, they, um, they made him a non-sexual asexual being. Yeah, they neutered him. They neutered him. And I remember being with a friend on a first-run episode of Will and Grace when Patrick Dempsey was playing his boyfriend. And there was a moment where, like, I think it's the top of the show, and Patrick Dempsey's getting in an elevator and leaving, and they give each other a peck on the mouth. Right, and I told my friend that's huge. That's the first time I've ever seen yeah. something like that, where it's just a real casual kiss. And so, what I was getting at in the beginning of the show, and I think we still have this, is there's another kind of, um, I guess I would call it, gay stereotype now, where now all gay people are hyper successful, type A, go to the gym all the time, beautiful body, beautiful person. You know, in the representation. They're, they're all David Burtka. <laughs> I don't know, I'm making that up. But like, no, but they're all like, um, you know, like super ripped and like they're all doctors and they're super successful. And one of the reasons I think that this show is successful and, I, and this is the market I want to tap into is where is the the gross fat guy who likes comic books and magic? Um. Because that's who a lot of us are. You know, we're not twinks. We're not thin. We're not, we don't have six packs. We're not, you know, we don't have a law degree and medical degree and work for doctors yeah. without borders, you know, and also have a fierce apartment in Manhattan and a private right. boyfriend. That, that's, that's furnished by West Elm. And, yeah, and exactly. Completely. Yeah, exactly. What's no, funny know. is the fairest representation I've ever seen of gay people that, that I saw myself was strangely on the Sarah Silverman show. Okay. When she had these neighbors, they were gay, and they were played by what were their names? Maybe someone can look it up. But that really tall, goofy comedian, he was on Just Shoot Me. And Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Uh shit. He wears glasses. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Balding. Yeah. yeah. And they were two they were two gays and they were in a relationship with each other, and they were just played video games all day and smoked weed and were fat. And there was a guy, uh, Adam Pally played a gay guy on Happy Endings that was very much of the, he didn't give a shit about looks and he was kind of, he was kind of a slob and, yeah. you know, he, he, he was sort of the one that it didn't have his shit together and, you know, 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I, I get what you're saying there as far as that representation. Versus. So I just think it's gone the other way, where now instead of being Paul Lynn, we're all Neil Patrick Harris. And it's just, there's an in-between. We have to get to, you know what's so funny is, you know, Aiden and I have been watching these movies. And Aiden said, I want to see a movie that's not about straight white people. He's like, I want POCs in it or gay people or whatever. And he goes, but I don't want it to be depressing. And John Paul and I literally could not. I think maybe we come up with one. Oh, wait, The Wedding Banquet by Ang Lee, right? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. But most gay movies, and especially those with POCs, are depressing. You know, the person kills himself at the end, or like right. these horrible things happen to them, and this is sad and depressing and. It's awful. And it's like, I want to get to a place where, you know, it's, uh, it's casually that the person's gay and it's, uh, you know, you know, bridesmaids or I don't know, whatever it is, right? It's not a big deal. Yeah. But we don't have that. And that's my two cents. Anything else, Taylor, on this elimination day? No. All right. Well, now it's time for Taylor's favorite part of the show. It's time for the looks. The looks. This, All right, let's talk about the yeah, looks. This week, the category is Oat Pocket. You know, uh, I had to write in the script O-A-T, even though it's spelled H-O-U-T-E, because I knew I would be like, Hout Pocket. And I'm like, if I just read Hout? Yeah, I'm like uh, Anchorman. I just read what's in front of me. Um, right. But, uh, you know, uh, for people who listen at home and aren't on the Discord or on Patreon, we have an icon in the Discord named Drew Brooks who pulls the looks for us. And he felt so badly this week because he's out of town and he couldn't pull the looks. So I don't know if you have the looks in front of you. I don't think you do. I do. They're, they're in the Discord. Who did it? I uh, Let me see who did it. It is Humble Pie. Oh, by the way, the two people we were talking about were Brian Posehn and Steve Agee okay. uh, on Sarah Silverman's show. All right. Yes. Okay. Okay. They're not, they're not in the order they came out, but that's uh. okay. You know, we appreciate Humble Pie pinch hitting. For, oh, God, for you Drew, know Humble so. Pie now. Oh, my God. Humble Pie now is killing herself right now. <laughs> she's beating herself she's up. She's beating herself up right now. She's going to take a – tomorrow on the room, she's going to take a really cold bath <laughs> to punish herself. <laughs> I don't worry. She's just going to keep pouring ice. Yeah, she's going to be like – uh, but Jane uh, – Jane, what's her name? Um, who's the mommy dearest again? Joan Crawford. Yeah, well, the, uh, but the, the actress who played Oh, Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway splashing the cold, like dunking her face in the cold water at the beginning of the movie. Close up the pores. All right, so so the first look up that we have listed is the Simone who came out in a denim pantsuit that was a large pocket with a large, which uh, I don't know what you would call that, but an oversized zipper off to the side mm-hmm. um, with what I'm glad they refer to it as Tina Burner hair with the red, yellow, and orange hair thought it was a great look um definitely spoke to it was a literal interpretation of a pocket and i loved that the one shoulder kind of hung out of the front of the pocket and the other shoulder was behind the pocket the wig was a little shake and go but i thought she she looks amazing anytime she's in drag she looks amazing so Mm -hmm. a great look from her uh next up we have got mick who came out in a trench coat kind of as a flasher sort of thing and when she opened the trench coat there were tons of pockets that had watches on them and a dress made of time pieces incredible look absolutely incredible look Mm -hmm. um very very detailed it's right down to the watches as the ankle straps for the shoes 
and just everything about this was amazing this was very to me was very you know hokator and just really really great any thoughts so far <laughs> or am i just burning through them <laughs> no okay so next up, Olivia Lux came out in a silver mini dress with um, large bow that sort of made pockets. They said that it really didn't meet the um, meet the criteria for the uh, category, but that it was a beautiful dress, that it was stoned perfectly. And I thought she looked beautiful with her white Dolly Parton 70s hair and everything about the look was very, very cute. So just a, a very pretty look from Olivia. So next up is Rosé, who came out in a mod-inspired outfit, black and white. That was all the pattern itself. When she took off the the raincoat was all pockets. I thought the idea for the look was great. However, I had two issues with it. One would be that she had on um, knee-length stockings and uh, white pumps. I feel like if you're doing a mod look, the mod, it should have been uh, go-go boots. I would have liked to have seen a white go-go boot there instead of the white shoes with the socks. And when I think mod makeup, I think a light or white, like a light nude or white lipstick versus the dark red that she had. So I would have, I would have thought that this would have really kind of the red lipstick to me was distracting. I would have liked to have seen a white lipstick instead of a red lipstick. Mm -hmm. So that's my thought on that. And then we have Candace, Candace Muse in a, I'm assuming Japanese inspired outfit. That was uh, a series of pockets and multicolored uh, where they were all sort of sewn together with a chartreuse ribbon. It was she knew it was a mess. She said it herself. I don't feel attractive in this. And it definitely showed in how she walked and how she showed the look. Um, Not a strong look from Candy. Uh, I don't want to kick her while she's down, particularly there, but it was, she looked, she, it was very clown-esque instead of what, I feel like she was trying to go for a Harajuku girl thing, or it was very Japanese inspired, and it just was not, not good. So, and those are the looks. Those are the looks. You get so mad that I have nothing to say on the looks. I, I, I feel like I, I want to. I, I, I want to have a little bit back I have no opinion. That, I have no I know opinion. you have no opinion, but even if it's where you just go, I like it, or I don't. Oh, okay. okay. I didn't which, know that. Which of, which of the looks were your favorite? Rosé's. But I'll tell you what, I, I had to have a thought on Rosé's. I could see Trixie wearing this. Very curious to hear what Trixie has to say about this outfit. Well, but that's very within Trixie's wheelhouse. Yeah, I could see Trixie wearing something like this as well. Yeah. Who's, who, who's was your least favorite? Oh, Candy's was awful. Yeah. No, Candy's awful. was really bad. Mess. Okay. Well, All right, the, the movie... Looks? Henny, I shrank the drag queens. Your thoughts on this movie? We watched it. My thoughts were that I, I didn't. Th- I thought Candy was really good, actually, for Candy mm-hmm. because it was not watered down, but it wasn't the where she wasn't at one hundred and fifty the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was where she was. She there was a sophistication to Candy's performance mm-hmm. that I actually sort of enjoyed watching her. Whereas I don't ever feel that in the acting challenges before mm-hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, I don't get why they thought Rose was great. I thought a lot, I thought Rose was very much like kind of chewing up the scenery. I agree with you. Which, but that is also what Rue likes. It doesn't have to make sense. You just pretty much have to make a silly face and wave your arms around and then Rue thinks it's funny. She went the Manila route where everything was crossing her eyes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, 
And I mean, it was clear that Olivia was going to be in the bottom there. So, mm-hmm. but I was very surprised by the, I was very surprised by the conversation um, that they had about Candy and yeah. her performance. Let me tell you this. This movie logically made no sense. <laughs> I didn't notice the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, this is just stupid. And then I watched it the second time. I'm like, why would they? Well, first of all, there's a, there's a scene where they're in front of the, a green screen and they show the main stage. The that, main yes. stage is right there. Why, yes. are there. why is the main stage on a green screen? Yes, absolutely. And the other thing is I don't get when they do this and it just takes it. I mean, I also get we're not watching, you know, a Marvel film here. We're yeah. watching where it's clear they're on a green screen of where it's down on the floor mm-hmm. of the and they're moving the camera is moving around, but the, but everything is stationary behind it because she's on a green screen. Olivia was talking at one point, and like she was like the, everything was moving, but it it just was this weird disconnect of why you can't have it where the camera is stationary, or they tell Olivia she has to stay in one part, or the screen has to stay in one part. Mm-hmm. It's it just it just felt even cheaper than it already was. But yeah, yeah there were there were parts like that that it didn't make any. It, it that that to me was just I'm like why would they not have them all just standing on the green screen or had it where you know I appreciated that they pulled old film of RuPaul from a previous week oh yeah so that was that was good I appreciated that but it was still yeah not 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 great not at great. the end I was like what did I just watch anyway <laughs> okay two logic things I want to bring up. There's a part where they go, we got to climb this uh, sewing machine cord to get up there. I'm like, why would they want to go up to that table? That table is not next to the shade button. So why would they do all that work to go up to the table? Yeah, if they were trying to get to the shade button, yeah. there was a sewing machine, that makes That would make sense. sense. To get up there. Yeah. And they can see that it's not connected to the, to the table. And then they go there. Like, and what does the shade button have to do with anything? I don't know. I don't know. It was so weird because actually the shade button, I could see if they at the last minute they get to it. And that, but then that leads to like, why was it that because Olivia, what was the logic here that if, because Olivia um, had a uh, read her for filth that she, that they grew and she shrank. Like, look, whoever wrote this needs to go study the most basic element in theatrical principle, which is Chekhov's gun. And it applies to dumb comedies, too. Same thing with, how come the, the, the Simone pulled out a laser point? We've never seen her with a laser pointer. Yeah. All of a sudden, she's a laser pointer. And it's something you could just so easily go, like, you know, they're fucking around in the beginning. So she has a laser pointer. Yeah. So all of a sudden, she has a laser pointer. And when they climb up a table, mm-hmm. and I know, again, the person who wrote it is listening, going, like, it's supposed to be a dumb sketch. No! You're supposed to have internal logic as to why they're doing this. Even in a dumb comedy, there's an internal yeah. logic as to why they made that choice. Same thing with, like, look, I want you to apply the Golden Girls and Dorothy and Rose, okay, specifically. At okay. the end, so let's go with this logic, even though we've never seen this, that for some reason, if they read, if they knew this the whole time, tapping the shoes three times, that if they just read Candy for Filth, they'll grow and she'll shrink. And so... Um, Rosé, as the sar- sarcastic one, gets the library glasses and says, the library's officially open, hands it to Olivia. Uh, that doesn't Olivia. make any sense. What, what, right. Okay, if it was the Golden Girls and they had to re- read someone for filth, would Dorothy then say, Rose, go get them? No. No. No, she handed it to Sophia. 
Yes, Sophia. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, and and, and, and it does, or she would do it herself. That makes no sense. That makes zero mm-hmm. sense. Why would they? There's been no. I, I get they were going for. They were going for that that shy black girl in police academy moment. You know. Yeah. And um. That's what it was going, we're going for that, but it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. Build well, that's what that. I said. That was the funniest thing. Where all of a sudden, where she starts, you know, cursing and calling her a cum dumpster and all that sort of stuff was. Yeah, was, that was funny. I get what the joke's supposed to be, but it, there was no logic there. And then I would did right. think of you when she did the the homage to the night the lights went out in Georgia from Designing <laughs> Women. That line, I was like, oh, Taylor must be cheering. Yeah, well, not really, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, any other thoughts on the movie? That. On the movie, no. All right. So now we're going to get to the main stage. We're going to get to the lip sync. I know you have a lot of thoughts there. On the main stage, RuPaul asks the queens who they think deserves to go home. Simone names Olivia. Olivia takes a long pause and then names Candy. The remaining girls also name Olivia. After the judges deliberated, RuPaul named Rosé the winner of the challenge. Candy Muse and Olivia Lux are in the bottom two and forced to face off in a lip sync battle for their lives. A song strong enough by Cher. In the end, Candy Muse is told Shantae you stay while Olivia Lux is asked to sashay away Taylor Velate boy any final thoughts on the deliberations on the any the everything it seems like you have a lot of thoughts go ahead the deliberations once they started in on Olivia i said so they are they are reading her for doing the exact same thing they just praised Simone for mm-hmm. where Simone plays the does the factory voice yeah. in every acting challenge mm-hmm. and they're telling mm-hmm. her how amazing she is. Yeah. Two seconds later, they're saying to Olivia, you kind of do the same thing every time and yeah. we feel like it's one note. Mm-hmm. It it made absolutely no sense. It It just was where it was clear no matter what. Olivia could have said or done nothing at that point. And I mm-hmm. Olivia was horrible in in the skit, but I think it's because Olivia was horrible. Olivia was playing an airhead. Yeah. Olivia when she does that when she does this performance, it is kind of where we're sort of simple and we're 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 just kind of we're airhead esque. So she she completed the role. She just didn't do it very well. But for her them mm-hmm. to then say to Simone you you know this is a, you, when you do this this is amazing and you take you have this command presence i was very surprised by their reading of that other than they know they can't they can't put simone in the bottom two weeks in a row yeah and then have her come back at this point so it just it was clear that they it needed to have somebody else and th- in that regard i wasn't sure then at that point who they were going to go after so then when they go after candy and say to candy we feel like we see the same thing from you only this week you didn't go big enough mm-hmm. it the whole the whole thing just made no sense yeah it it was it was infuriating to watch it was it was you know it was insulting it was insulting for people who really watch and and really kind of try to study and enjoy this show and try to figure things out they were just telegraphing everywhere what was going to happen and it's but it's, they don't care it doesn't matter I know it doesn't Nothing matter. matters. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters, Taylor. Um, I agree with you. Um, the judging this season has been wild and crazy and makes no sense. It's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Uh-huh. And we're going to make whatever storyline we want it to be. The judges panel will just make it fit. And it makes no sense whatsoever. There's a part, you know, to, to go with what you said, there's a part, there's such a, a a stark difference between these two shows. The part where Carson tells Rosé, 
you're so good. You're so professional. You had all your lines ready. And I'm like, bitch, did you just see 15 minutes ago when you told her, when Rose forgot her lines and they put it in the mm-hmm. show? She had all her lines. <laughs> She's the one person you show forgetting their lines. That's a very good point. They don't care. Nothing cares. Yeah. Going back to what I was telling um, you earlier, which is uh, when they when RuPaul asked them who should go home, no one advocates for themselves. No one has that fight anymore. It's just, oh, I I love Olivia, blah 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 blah. And I know, look, that's look, that's that's well and good uh, in real life, IRL pageant queens, right? Mm-hmm. But I know these bitches really have, you know, I just, they don't, I don't get the sense that they're really saying how they feel. And it's, well, I mean, we did, but see, we did just saw that with Candy a couple weeks ago where Candy was the one who defended herself when they all, when they had yeah. the twins mm-hmm. thing. And what happened? Everybody read her for it. Yeah. Because, she, because she got fiery and hot tempered and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, everybody said Olivia, mm-hmm. I think. There was no way Candy was going to come for Olivia at that point because everybody else had already beaten up on her. And she she says that then untucked. I didn't take what you said to heart. You had to say a name at that point. And I think I think Candy was already kind of feeling not great because of her look and the fact that they did read her, you know. And as we saw in untucked, she had she says looked like she had a couple of panic attacks or yeah, you know, oh yeah. Because she mentions that in the Twitter. I didn't know that. Okay, she, yeah. Okay. So it, it, I wasn't sure if it's something that we needed to talk about or not. Because, but they show like her blood pressure at one point. I was like, oh shit! It was like one eighty something. They took her blood pressure. Oh yeah, no, she was with a medic a couple <gasps> of times. Oh, I have to look oh yeah, that. no, it, it is it is an interesting because you're watching her where she doesn't have like a full on panic attack of where she looks like she's having a heart attack, but it's where they they take her outside and they give her water and the med. Apparently, they thought about not letting her lip sync because her heart had been so. Crazy. And they have it. They had, they show an exclusive uh, clip from Untucked where Rue is saying to her on the judges' panel, Are you okay? Are you going to be all right? And she said, Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I got it. Sort of thing. And the medic is, the medic is like off to the side of the judges' panel. Oh. In case something happened. Yeah. Um, so I, I agreeing with what you said earlier, I think Olivia knew this is my week. I got this far, and I have worked so hard to be Miss Congeniality. If I'm not going to win, there's still a chance. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to fuck it up by screaming and reading <laughs> reading everybody yeah. here on the stage. I I think that I, I had it been earlier in the season, and this question came up, I could see a, you know, I could see Tamisha. If somebody said she should go home, I could see. I'm trying to think of somebody else that would have done that. I mean, Tamisha is really kind of the only one right now, but yeah, I, I, I nobody's fighting for themselves at this point because it's not because win, winning doesn't matter anymore. Go ahead. It's 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 about you know they've all won because they've made it this far. Yeah, that people will remember their names. Hopefully, one final thing. I know what RuPaul meant. And it's just, I'm disappointed how funny it is that RuPaul meant, when she told you, uh, Olivia, you should be proud of yourself. She meant, I'm also proud of you. Because I'm proud of you. Uh And she tells her, though, and this came off as funny, you should be proud of yourself. I know I am. Which to me sounded like, I'm proud of myself. (laughs) 
Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't yeah. everyone be proud of them? Yeah, you should be proud of yourself. I know I love myself to death. All right, yeah. uh, Taylor. Any other final thoughts on this episode? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, that's going to do it for this week's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Be sure to join us next week and every week as we endlessly continue to discuss, dissect, and deconstruct each brand new episode of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 13. So, for Taylor the Latte Boy and myself, sashay away until next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to RuPaul's Drag Race Recap. Have something to say? Email us at dragracerecap at afterthought.media. For more Drag Race and LGBTQ content, support us over at Patreon at patreon.com slash afterthoughtmedia. You can follow Tanner the Latte Boy on Instagram and Twitter at P-I-M-C Taylor. Follow Joe Batanz on Instagram at Joe Batanz. That's J-O-E-B-E-T-A-N-C-E. This episode was produced by Luke Stamen. Drag Race Recap is an Afterthought Media podcast. We'll be right back.